0: learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, it's that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare care related fields to keep you a beat ahead.
1: I once saw the hospital bill for a patient in a coma. She was charged for three tray meals a day. I'm Dr. Marilyn Singleton, and welcome to America Out Loud Pulse. According to the Congressional Research Service, health spending represents 18% of our gross domestic product, Americans, whether individually, through insurance, or through the government, spent $4.3 trillion. Now, trillion doesn't mean much anymore. Let's put it another way. That's $4,000 billion on health care. The worst is that out of that, out-of-pocket spending was 10%. And get this. Out-of-pocket expenses are coinsurance and deductibles and services not covered by insurance, but does not include your high insurance premiums. As health insurance expenditures grow year after year, politicians relish using costs and access as a campaign issue, but only in the last few years have really pushed for price transparency. Of course, that's a new buzzword of the day. Only in healthcare do we routinely make use of a product or service without knowing the costs beforehand. In fact, in one study, employees who used a price transparency tool paid between 10 and 17% less than employees who did not have access to that service. Over the last few years, hospitals have been required to post the rates they've negotiated with insurers for 300 common medical services. Unfortunately, these prices are written in billing jargon and hard to understand. Moreover, the prices differ within the same institution, depending on whether the bill is paid by Medicare, private insurer, or self pay Recently, Congress has put forth a few more transparency bills designed to let the consumer know the inner workings of their insurance contracts. All I can say to that is good luck. Even with the inappropriately named Affordable Care Act, premiums are sky high. One thing that's very interesting, surveys published by the American Hospital Association Just in July this year, looked at the effects of the practices of commercial insurers. The surveys found that some 80% of patients, nurses, and physicians say insurer policies and practices are reducing access to medical care, driving up health care costs, and increasing clinician burden and burnout. So what's the immediate answer for you to pay less for your medical care? My guest will discuss some tools for fighting a system that's not looking out for you. Marshall Allen is an award-winning journalist who has spent more than 15 years investigating the healthcare industry and exposing the ways that the system preys on vulnerable Americans. He's also the founder of the Allen Health Academy, which produces videos to empower employees to navigate the healthcare system. He's the author of, get this title, Never Pay the First Bill and Other Ways to Fight the Healthcare System and Win. He also has a master's degree in theology. And before he went into journalism, Mr. Allen spent five years in full-time ministry including three years in Nairobi, Kenya. Welcome to the show, Marshall Allen.
0: Thank you, Marilyn. It's wonderful to be here. That was an awesome introduction, um, awesome um, overview you gave of how Americans, especially working Americans, but it's taxpayers too, keep spending more and more and more and keep getting less and less and less for our money when it comes to healthcare.
1: Well, I tell you first, just so our audience can know, I read your book and truly could not put it down. I just thought it was great. And somebody might think a doctor who likes a book that says, don't pay the first bill. Well, one, I'm a doctor who, when once I got out of insurance, never charged too much. So patients always paid the first bill uh, because I just asked for cash. And amazingly, patients were glad to pay it. I'd like to know how you got interested in healthcare and some of these problems.
0: Well, I started writing about healthcare when I was a journalist at the Las Vegas Sun in Nevada back in 2006. And I had no healthcare background. Um, I had been a journalist at that point for about five years. I had been pretty healthy myself, and so I had not had a lot of encounters with the healthcare system. But you know, you mentioned my ministry background um, in my bio there, and the, what's interesting is my viewpoint when it when it comes to analyzing the American healthcare system is based on what's fair and what's morally right for the people who are engaging with the system, and those would be the patients uh, first and foremost. And the more I started looking at our healthcare system from the point of view of the patient, the more I found practices that we would never accept in other aspects of our lives. I did a lot of series, uh, I did a lot of stories about patient safety issues and the quality of care um, in healthcare and often, you know, there are medical errors that occur and those are not acknowledged to the patient. Um, Those are, that's a big problem that's not often talked about. And then I also did a lot of reporting on the high cost of care and how we spend more than citizens of any other country for our health care. And we get much less for our money. So I spent five years at the Las Vegas Sun. Then after that, I spent 10 years at ProPublica, um, which is a big investigative news organization based in New York. And in the course of doing that reporting, um, I did an independent analysis and an independent investigation of health care where I talked to thousands of experts, hospital executives, insurance company executives, employers, lots of doctors, lots of nurses, many, many patients. And I told hundreds of stories and learned a lot when I was doing a holistic, independent investigation of our healthcare system from the point of view of the patient. And so I learned in that process that in many cases, the patients have more power than they think. And I also think that American employers have a lot more power than they think when it comes to driving down the cost of healthcare. So I wrote never pay the first bill. Not not to say that, uh, speaking of the title, I don't mean that people should never pay their bills, but what they should never do is pay a medical bill until they have analyzed the bill to make sure that it's fair and to make sure that it's accurate. And so I show in the book, the book is really a handbook for employers and for working Americans to navigate the healthcare system. So it really is like a guidebook. So I I set up, um, you know, with some introductory chapters about why we need to fight back and just show the trajectory that's been so harmful to the American people of the high cost of healthcare. And then chapter by chapter, I break down, you know, how to understand your medical bills, Um, how to contest them, how to price them to make sure that they're fair, how to analyze them and make sure they're accurate. What do you do if an insurance company denies you the care that you should receive? You mentioned insurance companies. I mean, insurance companies these days have stepped into the practice of medicine and are overruling doctors who are ordering medically necessary treatment for patients. And patients unfortunately need to be armed to protect themselves against this predatory behavior by the insurance companies I have a chapter on what to do if you're being pursued by a medical debt collector, because unfortunately, we have about 100 million Americans right now who have medical debt that's in collections. So that's a common, common thing for people to be pursued by debt collectors. And then I have chapters about how to avoid unreasonable price variation, how to get the best prices on drugs, on different treatments people need. Um, and a lot of it does um, use the new hospital price transparency final rule as an underlying kind of uh, lever that we can use as consumers to um, to get a fair deal. So um, I wrote Never Pay the First Bill. It, I, the thing maybe I'm most proud about with the book is that if you go on Amazon and read the reviews, you'll see people who are posting how they've saved hundreds or thousands of dollars on their healthcare bills. And so I can tell story after story about how just everyday people have fought the system and won. And so it, the book shows David how to beat Goliath when it comes to the healthcare uh, billing system and the, the high cost of care. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. And with Allen Health Academy now, I'm on a campaign to promote health literacy and equip and empower working Americans and employers to get more for their money when it comes to healthcare, to get better healthcare coverage, better benefits at a much lower price. And so that's led to a series of videos I've created. The videos, people can find those at allenhealthacademy.com. And it's a curriculum that takes the principles of the book and trains people using engaging videos. And so I'm just, uh, I'm having a blast, Marilyn, um, helping people and trying to bring about a little grassroots disruption uh, to what's been going on in healthcare.
1: Well, let's start at the beginning here. What's a little bit of the psychology, I guess you'd call it, why don't people, when they see the bill, and it seems a bit absurd, why don't they fight it?
0: Well, it's complicated, right? So people overestimate how complex it is. And we've been groomed, and I use that term intentionally, to be passive, um, almost the way a predator would groom a victim. And so our healthcare system has promoted itself and marketed itself as only being out for our well-being and so if you look at the big health insurance companies you look at the pbms these middlemen that add a lot of cost and take a lot of profit but do not add a lot of value you know they promote themselves um, as if they're the doctors or the nurses who are at the bedside taking care of the patient you know they talk about how they are trying to um, you know promote the good health of patients um, and yet, uh, they're they're not always doing that. and And so we've been conditioned because of this third party payment system we have, where so many of us get our benefits through our employer. And then that's managed by an insurance company or a pharmacy benefit manager. There's brokers in there. There's all these middlemen who are who are part of the process. So we've been groomed and conditioned to to think that we can just sit back and trust the system, trust the process. There's people looking out for us. Um, the the people on the financial side are looking out for our well being, just like the clinicians are looking out for our well being. And unfortunately, that's just not true. And we've seen that now over the decades. We can see the ongoing rising cost of healthcare without justification, and the burden that it's causing to the American people. So I think I think people are intimidated. I think they trust that the system is looking out for them, and often you know, it's only when it's too late that they decide to get engaged and stand up for themselves. And so what I'm trying to do is help people see they need to get engaged right now. And if they get engaged now and educated, they can protect themselves from a lot of these problems. And if they've encountered the problems, they can fight back and they can win. Uh, It's tougher if you have to fight back and win, but you can do it.
1: Well, one of the things that I've always told patients is Ask what the cash price is. And yes. I, you know, a couple of years ago, I think it came to light. This was before Congress decided, well, let's try to get some votes and put out uh, let's talk about PBMs and let's talk about transparency. And it, it's a rule now, not a law. One of the new transparency um, bills is supposed to make that rule or an actual law, but be that as it may, there is a lawsuit because a patient was standing behind another patient who had the exact same prescription and I believe it was at CVS. It could have been CVS or Walgreens. I'm not sure. I don't want to defame anybody. Yeah. Um, and uh one person it was $90, the other person it was $13. And her eyes bulged. Like, why is there a difference? She was the $90 one was the price if you used your insurance. And people say, Oh, well, then it doesn't go for your deductible. But my goodness, you could buy that drug 10 times over if you just paid cash. Yeah. And until recently, what? The pharmacists weren't even allowed to tell you the cash price.
0: Yeah. So I have a whole chapter in my book and I have a video in my video curriculum about how you should always ask for the cash price. And this is um, the power of hospital price transparency. That hospital price transparency final rule went into effect at the beginning of 2021. And now hospitals are required by the federal government to post all their prices, their cash prices, their discounted um, insurance company negotiated rates, their Medicare rates. And so now um, where hospitals are complying, because unfortunately compliance has been improving, but slow, Um, we're seeing hospital prices that are just outrageous. And so let me just give you an example here. um, Some that I've pulled myself um, as I've talked to different groups around the country, Um, Oklahoma university medical center. If you went there for a colonoscopy and you were covered by the Aetna PPO plan, again, this is according to the Oklahoma university medical center prices posted on their own website. So these are their prices if you had Aetna, you would pay $6,959 for a colonoscopy. If you had Cigna, you'd pay $5,548. If you had United Healthcare, you'd pay $3,700. If you had Health Choice PPO, which I believe is the Medicaid plan, you'd pay $1,374. And the cash price there at Oklahoma University Medical Center for a colonoscopy is $956. So again, $956 for the cash price versus United Healthcare, $3,700, Cigna, $5,500, Aetna, almost $7,000. You are paying multiples more if you're an insured patient. And, I, I, and there's also no justification for an Aetna patient paying twice as much as a United Healthcare patient, either, of course. And I just call this what it is. This is price discrimination against working Americans based on their type of insurance coverage. And there's no reason, no rational reason why one patient should pay more than another patient at the same hospital for the same services. And yet this is the standard operating practice in hospitals across the country. So there's no rhyme or reason to it other than they have um, an ability because of the insurance system to negotiate and make people pay more than they should. That's not a good reason. And so I look at this, again, coming from my ministry background, and I just say, this is wrong. This is not right. How can we accept this type of discrimination against people that is causing them to go into debt, to not be able to afford the care that they need, to not have access to care? This is a moral problem that is just um, afflicting our healthcare system, and we need to stand up against it.
1: Absolutely, you are so so right. And one of the things I I you know the listeners have to remember is you say, well, there's a two thousand dollar price difference, but my insurance is paying for it, and my employer paid for part of that insurance. But remember, you've got a copay and deductible, right. and sometimes that cash price is actually less than what your copay. Some copays are twenty percent. So do the math. So. Right. When when we get back from the break, I want to talk about just something very specific you need to do when you get that first bill. And how you need to look at it and go through it to see whether what you're billed for is what you actually had. For right now... Of course, I'm going to talk about something that actually does give you something for your money, and it's COFIX-RX. This is a nasal spray. You know, I've been using it for at least a year, and it's called COFIX because it came out with COVID, but of course, we still get colds. We still get respiratory tract infections, and what this is, it just works on the principle that 95% of the viruses go through our nose. If we can stop that virus when it's incubating in our nose over those first couple of days, we can reduce or eliminate the impact of that invasion and not get a lower respiratory tract infection. And we've got to look at COFIX kind of like an air bay. Nothing is 100% but it can really lessen the severity of illness if you happen to get sick. I use it after I go to Walmart or some big place where I'm around a lot of people from a lot of different places, not in my neighborhood. And, uh, you know, there might be germs my body's not used to. come home and do a little Kofix squirt. And so far, so good. If I had some wood right here, I'd knock on it. Anyway. One of the wonderful things about it, it's just simple ingredients, iodine, xylitol, and some vitamin D, just in the right proportion. It was invented in the USA. It's manufactured in the USA. What could be better than that? So check our website. There's a little button for it. You can read more about it. You can buy it anywhere.
0: Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the Wellness Company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme Natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order.
1: Okay, before we went on the break, I was talking about something to do that the patient should do when they get a bill in the mail and they will get a bill sometimes. And even with Medicare, you get something that says, this is not a bill, this is a statement. But sometimes the bill might come a couple months later when after everybody's sent their uh, reimbursement request into the insurance company, the insurance company doesn't pay, then the doctor or the hospital finally sends you a bill. What should we do, Marshall, when we get that bill?
0: Well, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you have an itemized bill and the bill, the itemized bill needs to include the billing codes that were used to translate the care that was provided to the patient into the claim that was submitted to the insurance plan or whatever was used to generate the bill. Um, And I, I like to use, you know, sometimes, um, I I compare it to like if you went to, you know, it's it's shocking, first of all, that hospitals don't just give everyone an itemized bill with the billing codes. They just often will sum up, you know, aggregate amounts for medical care or pharmacy prescription care or something like that. it's like if you went to the grocery store and they just gave you a lump sum payment after they took your eggs and milk and cheese out of your cart. You know, you, you want to be able to see those prices to make sure that you're only paying for things that you actually received and to make sure that the prices are actually fair. And so sometimes people can get harassed or denied or stonewalled when they ask for an itemized bill. So I recommend um, and I actually wrote a newsletter article about this about how to use HIPAA, the HIPAA law, to get your itemized medical bill. Because a lot of people don't think about the the broadness of the HIPAA law. Obviously at the provider level, hospitals and doctors and other clinicians are thinking about protecting patient privacy, and that's obviously key. But it's also um, a law that gives access to medical records and also billing records. So any record that a HIPAA covered entity has about a patient, it's that patient's right to obtain those records under the HIPAA law. And so if people go um, to my newsletter article, I actually wrote a template, kind of an email that you can use to send to your hospital to say, hey, under the HIPAA law, I have a right to my itemized bill with my billing codes please send it to me. And if you wanna up the ante a little bit, you can say, if you do not send it to me, I will file a complaint with the HHS Office of Civil Rights for you violating my HIPAA rights. And I guarantee you that will get their attention, especially if you send it to their general counsel's office, and then you will get that, um, that itemized bill with the billing codes. Um, if people want to look up my newsletter, by the way, that's at marshallallan.substack.com. I'm guessing you have some show notes or something. Maybe we could put that in there. Yes, that, I That will. article is in those. Is You can just Google it or you can look on, my, uh, on that site to look up that article. Um, but once you have that itemized bill with the billing codes, well, then you want to check it and you want to make sure, does it only include charges for services that the patient actually received? And that's super easy to do. I mean, again, people overcomplicate this, but if it was a short episodic uh, visit to the hospital or to the doctor, this is extremely easy to do. You can do this in about five minutes. Um, If it was a lengthy hospital stay, then of course that gets more complicated. Um, Check and make sure that you're not paying for services you didn't receive. And I'm sure you know this, Marilyn, you mentioned um, in your introduction, the patient who was in the coma, who was being charged for three meals delivered by tray a day, That is amazing, it's absurd, and it doesn't surprise me a bit because those type of charges happen all the time because the payment system is a little bit on autopilot. They're not really checking the details on these things as much as you think that they would. Um, And so we have to be um, checking the details to make sure that we're not being charged for things that didn't occur. Then the next thing you wanna do is check the prices for the items that you did receive or the services you received. So let's say that you went to a hospital and let's say you got a CT scan and the price, the discounted price on your bill uh, for that CT scan is um, $1,800 or, or not even the discounted price, what they're charging is 1,800 or 2,000 or 2,500. That's commonly what a hospital will charge for a CT scan. But if you went to an independent imaging center, that same CT scan might cost $400. The, the price difference, between independent imaging centers and hospitals is exponentially different. Same is true for lab tests. And so you can look up those prices. So what I encourage people to do, go on the hospital's website. They should be complying with price transparency with that price transparency final rule. So check and see what other insurance plans pay for those same services. Is your insurance plan negotiating a really bad deal for you? Well, there's no reason that you need to accept that as a patient. That's something that I think you should contest. And of course, the insurers and the hospitals will say, well, but we have a contract. This is our contracted rate. And my response to that is, I don't care what your contracted rate is. You're ripping me off. (laughs) How is it that we have these contracts between doctors and hospitals um, or hospitals and insurance companies, excuse me, and they agree to a price that's four times what the patient should be paying. And then they expect the patient to pay it. That's not the kind of contract that's fair at all to the patient. And so we need to demand fairness in these um, pricing agreements. And so you can check on the hospital website, check prices there. You can also go to a website called fairhealthconsumer.org. And you can plug in the uh, the, the code of the service that you received. And then you'll get a comparison to the average of what insurance companies are paying in your zip code or in your town. And so that's, again, a good way to see is the price that you're receiving fair. And you can also go to the website, healthcarebluebook.com. And that will give you an idea of what other, um, what self-funded employers are paying for those services in your community. And that will also give you a benchmark that you can use to see, are you being overcharged or not? And then I encourage people, if you're being overcharged, you need to push back and ask for a discount and even even if, if necessary, demand a discount.
1: Okay, I hope everybody heard all those steps. And remember, one of the important things that Marshall said is don't be intimidated by the bill. Just look at it, go for it. My husband gets these bills. He has, he's an engineer. He doesn't know anything about it. And he'll hand it to me and say, what does this mean? And the one thing you mentioned were the codes now, and it's kind of interesting because these billing codes are actually quite the big deal. You wonder why doctors who deal in cash can charge so much less. Some people pay a coder in their office 35 dollars $40,000 a year just to put those codes in. Yeah. That, and so how can people find those codes to know what the code means?
0: Well, it's actually pretty easy. Like most of them are going to be CPT codes for any outpatient service you receive. Um, And so those are five digit codes and you can just Google them. You can just Google um, CPT code, say for an ER visit, it's 99283. It's a moderate level ER visit. You can Google CPT code 99283 and it'll pull up a description of the code. And then you can see, does that code accurately describe the service that you
1: received? Okay, I hope everybody heard that. So big lesson, big takeaway here is don't be intimidated by it. Well, and, what? and I also mm-hmm. understand,
0: you know, it's it's interesting, you mentioned your husband's an engineer, and yet he doesn't understand this. It, it does take engagement by the patient, you know, and, and this is a challenge that I want to throw out there to all the patients out there. You know, we need to be more engaged and we have to learn some new skills to protect our money and so just like we learn to manage our checkbook or our checking account or we learn to check our credit card statement to make sure that it's not uh, being charged for things that we didn't uh, pay, didn't order ourselves those are like financial skills and the first time maybe when you're a teenager or you're a young adult and you start learning those things it's kind of complicated and then once you've done it for a little while, it feels second nature. You understand how to do it. Those are similar types of financial skills um, that we have to learn and apply to healthcare. Because just like you're protecting the money in your bank account, um, the money you could get charged in healthcare, it could be hundreds or even thousands of dollars per healthcare encounter that you're being overcharged, and so we don't really realize how sloppy, how deceptive, how corrupt, how inaccurate, whatever word you want to put on it, how overpriced the system is. And, and so we need to be much more skeptical and then learn these skills and then apply them. And in many cases, uh, Marilyn, you may have seen this yourself. Once you contest these inaccurate or overpriced bills, the billing entity crumbles. And I show in my book how to apply increasing levels of pressure and leverage to get them to give you a fair deal. So you may need to apply more leverage and more pressure. Um, But but it is possible to do, and it's less complicated than than you think it is. And it can be very, very rewarding financially. One, One other caveat I want to throw out there is I know that many patients are not able to do this. And I want to be very sensitive to that. You know There are people who are extremely sick, or maybe they're caring for a loved one, they're a caregiver, and they're working jobs and caring for their loved one. So this is not fair, you know, that we are put in these positions. And there are people who won't be able to do this. Um, And so for people like that, you know, um, reach out to a friend, reach out to an advocate, you can message me on my website, we'll see if we can get an advocate to help you. but, but also just realize if you are able to do it, when you push back against these injustices in this system, you're standing up for yourself, but you're also standing up for all those people who can't stand up for themselves. And you're demanding fair treatment, accurate pricing, an itemized bill. You know, these are just regular common sense things that we should expect from the healthcare system.
1: Absolutely. You don't expect people who are giving you care to be liars and cheats, but sometimes they are, maybe they don't think of themselves that way. I had a a personal experience with an elderly friend of mine. This was some years back. She had had a big surgery and the some home health aid service that Medicare was paying for, that's who paid for surgery, came in and they were supposed to help her out three days a week. Well, they thought she was more infirm than she really was, I guess. I guess they thought her mind was infirm. Well, it wasn't. And she did exactly what you said. She looked at the bill and said, wait a minute, they didn't come six days a week. So she was double charged. They said they were coming in six days a week. So and, you know, they were very nice people and all. And perhaps the workers themselves, you know, they're not the ones cheating, But these things happen and they happen all too often. I'd like you to tell folks what do you do if you want to appeal to the insurance company who's decided not to pay for something?
0: Well, that's a great question. And the most important bit of advice is to appeal with evidence, not emotion. Oftentimes, When the insurance company denies payment on something, um, it's it means either that the patient goes without the care that they need or they have to pay for it out of pocket. And sometimes people can't afford it at all. Um, And and the important thing on insurance company appeals is you have to treat them as if you're an attorney who's litigating the fine print of your agreement with the insurance company. The, we enter into contracts with insurance plans to provide the type of care coverage for the care that we need. And so we don't want to argue with them as if we're just an emotional patient who's not getting what they need and may it may be life or death for us. I mean, those are all true facts, but the insurance company, unfortunately, really doesn't care about the emotional cost or the harm that this is causing to the patient and their family the insurance company is interested in compliance with regulations and compliance with contracts. And so I show in my book how to um, understand uh, what the different terms are of these agreements, what the different obligations are that the insurance company has. And so if you can identify those contractual obligations that the insurance company is failing to uphold, and then put those together in a well-reasoned memo to the insurance company, then that can be a very successful way um, to appeal an insurance company denial.
1: Well, it's very, my husband had had a treatment denial for tennis elbow when we had Kaiser insurance. And it was pretty funny. The first thing he did and he figured this out all by himself. He thought he'd remembered seeing on ask the nurse or one of those little sections on the website tennis elbow so he looked it up on the website he took the language directly from the website about it being a what kind of condition it was and that it could be acute not necessarily chronic I think they said it was chronic and you probably had it before so we aren't going to pay for it but that's not what the website said about tennis elbow he sent just cut and pasted right from the website put it in the letter got the thing covered You know, never were asked again. (laughs) So
0: So there are other important things to know about insurance company appeals. One is most people don't ever appeal and they give up or they don't even know that there's an appeal process in place. So always, always, always appeal an insurance company denial. Um, Second, some states have an independent review process where they will have an independent reviewer look at the denial and you can complain to that system and have them take a look at it. Affordable Care Act plans also have something similar. So if you're being denied, um, you may be able to have an independent third party take a look at it and that will help overrule the denial.
1: Okay. So this is very good to know. And a lot of times, and it's something that happened to me, I was doing a series of nerve blocks on a patient. And you had to do 10 in a row in order for them to work. And the insurance company kept on saying, well, after you do three, we'll reevaluate. Well, the whole point, the protocol was you had to do 10 in a row. And doctors can have big hearts. And, you know, we went into medicine to help patients. And sometimes, you can just, if the insurance isn't going to pay, just ask the doctor as the patient asked me, and you just do it anyway. And because it's sad, we don't want to see patients suffer because the insurance company is acting like they're trained to act, save themselves money, not the patient. When we get back, I'd like to talk about how to avoid getting overtreated and avoiding having to have a fight after the fact when you're feeling poorly and recovering from whatever was wrong with you. So we'll get into that after the break. I just want to thank everyone for listening to America Out Loud Pulse. As you know, we are always a beat ahead. You can hear Pulse every weekday at 5 p.m. with an encore at 10 p.m. and on iHeartRadio at 8 a.m. the next morning. You can listen on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. My One of my favorite parts is that all the shows go direct to podcast in 24 hours, and the episodes are on lots of podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher, and iHeart. So make it easy, bookmark americaoutloud.news forward slash pulse. One feature that people love about the show is that you don't have to listen to the same person every night. I'm on on Mondays. Tuesdays, we have concerned doctors, Dr. Jordan Vaughn and Dr. Stuart Tankersley. Wednesday, we have Dr. Peter McCulloch. Thursday, we have Dr. Peter Bregan and Ginger Ross Bregan. And Fridays, we have epidemiologists from Yale, Dr. Harvey Reich. And then for people who've been listening for a while, you know, we now have nurses out loud and they're on Monday through Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern. So plenty of medical information out there for you with some politics thrown in the middle.
0: Well, the Out Loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. America Out Loud. News was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk League. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. HealthyCell.com. Code out
1: loud. Before the break, I asked you to help people figure out how to avoid having to fight the bill in the first place. Can you enlighten us here?
0: Yeah, that's actually, I devoted a whole section of my book to that because a lot of times what gets all the, the big attention is when you get hit with a terrible medical bill or you get hit with a denial from an insurance company. And really what we really want to do is avoid these problems in the first place. So I, I think one one chapter I have in the book and I feature in the videos is the importance of avoiding unnecessary care. Because it's one thing to pay an outrageous price for medical care that you need, but it's much, much worse if you're asked to pay an outrageous price for medical care that you did not need. And so the number one question that I recommend that people ask their doctor or nurse practitioner or whatever clinician it is that they're talking to, when that clinician is recommending a treatment that's discretionary, you know, maybe they want to try a prescription or maybe they want to try a particular treatment or a scan or an imaging test or something like that, ask that clinician, what happens if we wait? What happens if we don't do this right now? Instead of assuming that we're going to go down the road toward doing it, let's see what happens if we don't. Am I going to die right now? (laughs) Am I going to be (laughs) maimed? Am I going to be unable to walk out of this office today? Is there going to be risk that whatever we're worried about is going to Bloom into a much bigger risky problem in the next month or two if we take a step back. Um, And the reason people need to do that is because it's estimated that about 25% of all the healthcare that's provided in this country is wasted, it's unnecessary. And so you want to make sure that you're getting all the treatment that you need, but you don't want to be getting treatment that you don't need. And so um, asking what happens if we wait can really reframe that conversation between the patient and the clinician.
1: Well, one thing I have to say about that, if waiting is indicated, just make sure if you're going to get that hurry repaired or whatever else it is, do it before the end of the year. Don't suddenly decide to do it in January before you've met your deductible. So keep that in mind as well with your timing. But you're absolutely right. Many times you can wait and something doesn't have to be done right away
0: yeah so another another principle about avoiding um, getting into these traps you know we talk a lot about price variation and with price transparency now we can see when we talk about price variation you could again i I mentioned the um colonoscopies you could pay a thousand dollars two thousand dollars five thousand dollars i've seen ten thousand dollar colonoscopies If you can do these, a lot of these um, services that we receive are elective, which just means that we can schedule it. It's not emergency care. And in fact, most treatment that we receive is not emergency care. And so if we can identify the, the medical providers and institutions that are giving us a fair price and then avoid the ones that are price gouging then let's reward, this is just a free market principle, right? And ultimately, these are free market competition type of positions that I'm taking. Reward the people who are being fair with us and give them our business. Go to them, go to the independent imaging center or independent lab who is charging you a fair price for a service and shun the hospital. It's typically a hospital that's charging more than they should for a service. And so, but you have to know that that price variation exists, and in a lot of cases, people don't even realize that because people don't imagine that our healthcare system is as unfair as it is. You know, um, in healthcare, it's it's different than other consumer goods that you would buy. You know, if you if you buy a house or if you buy a car and you pay. 10 times more for a car than you would pay for a different car, you're expecting that you're getting a luxury vehicle. You know, maybe it's got a bigger engine, it's a sports car, it's got leather interior, it's, it's finely made. Um, but in healthcare, you don't actually get more for your money by spending more. Re- a lot of these services are pretty standardized. And so if you get a knee replacement at one hospital for $25,000, it's not worse than the knee replacement you get from another hospital for $50,000 or $75,000, or I've even heard of, in one case, a knee replacement that was $150,000.
1: Well, is there any way for somebody to know how much that actual knee, that device costs, so you can see how much they're bumping it up?
0: things are getting better and better now because of price transparency, but I would say we're still in the rudimentary stages of this. But I would call, so you can get a good faith estimate, from any medical provider you go to, and you can call them and get it in writing, get an estimate for what your price will be. So if you're getting, say, a knee replacement, I would call the different places in town um, where they do knee replacements, and I would ask them for a good faith estimate. Same with if you have a baby coming. Uh, The price of childbirth can be a lot different depending on where you go. And so usually people are only thinking about, well, I want my doctor. But if you know in advance that one hospital is going to charge you twice as much as another hospital, then you might choose a doctor accordingly so that you can save a lot of money on the birth of your child. So you can get a good faith estimate. That's one way. You can look at the hospital websites to see their prices. Um, That's another way. And then there are different services coming online that that are generating the hospital price transparency information. So one of them is, um, uh, turquoise health is one that's, that's taking this information and processing it. Another one is health cost labs. Um, a guy named Leon was uh, is at the forefront of this. And I've been, I feature him in my book. Um, and then another one that's being launched really soon here. It's not actually online yet, but this is, um, through Leon and, um, HealthCost Labs, they're launching a service called Billy that's going to be dropping soon. So watch out for it. And what they're doing is they're processing all of this price transparency information. They're making it searchable. They have it on a really user-friendly kind of an app. And so these things are going to become more and more accessible to the public. And they're going to be more um, just... uh, Common, And so we're going to be able to see this more and more. And then on the employer level, this is where employers have a huge amount of power to do direct contracting through their health plan to a hospital or to a doctor group or to an ambulatory surgical center in town to negotiate in advance fair prices and then incentivize your employees to go to those places where they have the fair prices by waiving the cost sharing if they go to those fair priced facilities And then don't waive the cost sharing if the patient wants to choose to go to an overpriced facility. And lo and behold, what happens when they do that? The patients, of course, choose to go to the reasonably priced facility where they don't have any cost sharing, no copay, no deductible, no coinsurance. Patients are saving thousands. Health plans are saving thousands. The doctors in the hospitals are being paid more because the insurance company middleman has been cut out of the equation. And so I think this is the direction things need to go. We're seeing it already. The disruption is happening. It just needs to become more mainstream.
1: And speaking of mainstream, that's where we've got to get Congress people who are trying to set all this healthcare policy without actually going into the weeds, like you did in your book. And like some doctors know, just from dealing with patients, that they have to realize that. Insurance may not be the answer. Just when you talk about, and it's getting more common now, direct contracting from the employer with some system, uh, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, very popular. People fly there and companies contract with them because their prices are so reasonable and the price includes everything. And you have to remember when you get these um, direct contracted prices, especially with these doctor owned hospitals, which, by the way, studies show have one third the cost of their traditional competitors, that the doctors who work there have the incentive not to make mistakes to do everything perfectly because they're on the hook if you get complications or whatever so it actually improves the quality there's kind of a human nature element involved in there
0: that's right that's right and and by and large you know the clinicians are victims of this system too these the predatory billing the ridiculous complexity in the way claims are processed and adjudicated and paid, the clinicians are fed up too. And so when it comes to getting doctors to provide cash prices or direct contracting prices and agreements, they're much more open to it than they've been in the past. And so what we really need to do is get these middlemen out of the picture who are not adding value and who are sucking Uh, the profit out of the system and driving the costs higher and higher.
1: And as we're seeing there, people are talking a lot about the PBMs lately, because there's some PBM legislation, and that's the pharmacy benefits manager who get these so-called rebates, which it's kind of like a real estate agent uh, selling your house are you buying a house and they say, oh yeah, we'll get you the lowest price. Well, no, they won't because their commission is a percentage of the price that you paid. And that's how those PBM rebates are. So they aren't really negotiating the lowest price for the drug. They're negotiating a price where they're going to get the highest kickback.
0: And Right. or they're Or they're steering you away from drugs that are reasonably priced and towards specialty drugs where they get a better kickback so it's so, so just the way the system um, is deceptive and hidden in the way it steers us away from the the lowest priced most reasonable um, care
1: and you know and there's something interesting about getting the middleman out the guy who's making a commission i mean it's his job it's it's sort of like you can't fault the insurance salesman for wanting to sell insurance, but the system is such that he's going to make more money if he sells you a higher price policy. But there's something about a face-to-face contact with whomever you're dealing with, your doctor or um, a hospital administrator or something that strips away that sort of, I don't know what it is, the The ease, almost like social networking, the ease of uh, being ugly or being a cheater or gouging you. It's hard to gouge somebody face to face. True. <laughs> I and I'll tell you when I retired out of the operating room and had an office pain management practice. I would give the patients a super bill if they wanted to bill the insurance, but I just took cash, not, you know, necessary dollar bills, um, on the spot. I never had anybody complain because they were treated very well. I gave them plenty of time to explain whatever their issues were, and I helped treat it and so they were satisfied with the product if we put it that way the product that they got and i think doctors have been turned into such drones lately that they forget the value they are to patients and it's up to us as physicians to make sure we are giving that value to patients. But as more doctors join these great big health systems, and sadly more are, it's now half of doctors belong to one of these systems, they're being whipped into shape and have to follow the rules that the health system sets. So, And then patients, again, they get stuck on that assembly line.
0: Right, that's right.
1: So it's up to everybody for patients. Try to find an independent physician if you can. Sometimes it's hard because you're not in a a metropolitan area or a place where you've got a lot of choice. And sometimes you help these big health systems are the only system around, unfortunately, as private practice wanes. But more and more private practice is coming back because of all the things we've talked about patients want to be treated like an individual they want the empathy and compassion and solid good treatment and they want an open relationship with the doctor and these things are easier in a private practice setting than in one of these big systems and the the
0: truth is all of those things are possible because What we're talking about is cutting a lot of the waste out of the system that's driving up the cost. It's estimated that we're wasting about a fourth of all the money that's spent on healthcare, about a trillion dollars a year is being wasted. Imagine if that money that's going to all these middlemen um, and all the administrative complexity, imagine if that was cut out of the system. We can actually achieve the goal of lowering the cost of healthcare in the United States. All the research shows that that's exactly how it should be. We do need to change though, the way we engage with the system, but it's happening already and it's very encouraging because this disruption is occurring. Healthcare is one of the industries that has not yet been disrupted, but it is primed, primed for a disruption because of the unjustified high cost, the pain it's causing to the public and also the clinicians. And so people are developing alternatives and they're pursuing them and they're finding a lot of success with them. So I just encourage patients and employers, stop doing things the same way, learn, get educated, get equipped, and then push back, reward the clinicians who are being fair with you and shun the ones who are not.
1: Well, on that note, I think that's a great place to end the show. I'm going to put your various links and websites and whatnot at the program notes, at the bottom of the program notes. So I want everybody to check those out. I just want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been great. I wish we could go through every word of that book.
0: This was my pleasure, Marilyn. Thank you so much. And people can always reach out to me. I'm easy to find on LinkedIn or at my, through my website, which is marshallallen.com
1: well thank you for now i just want to remind people that uh we do have a brand new website it's called americaoutloud.shop and it is what it says it's a shopping website for the books that our guests have written uh and various other books and products that our guests have uh, products from the wellness company. It's worth taking a look. It's Americaoutloud.shop. And the best part is if you buy something there, you get a discount. Some the discounts vary, and it's worth checking out. And remember, we still have our email feature where all you have to do, first names are fine, just email us a question and we'll get, whether it's the host or the guest, we'll get an answer back to you. So thanks again for listening. And whether you agree or have other opinions about what you've just heard, please share the show. And until next week, Say it loud, I'm free and I'm proud.